have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, welcome, and uh, thank you for joining us with uh, on the Believer's Journey. It's another week, and so we're doing very well here. Thanksgiving was last week, and I hope you have watched my video last week on um, on being thankful to God and, and so forth. I think it was a pretty good little video, if I must say so myself. Anyway, today we're going to talk about the laborers are few, and the harvest is plentiful. And I kind of shortened it to the laborers are few with a few dots after it's kind of a long long um, title. So I guess it's cold in here. Um, my my um, producer's wearing a jacket and it looks like it's, you know, lined around his collar. So he must be freezing cold, but it seems pretty comfortable. So anyway, my guest today is Jerry Dyke. Um, welcome. And Jerry is uh, is pretty remarkable. In fact, it's funny because I've known Jerry from our church we went to years ago. And my wife and her business actually do your banners and cards or things like that, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. A lot of the posters that we use for our uh, display tables and uh, recruiting tables. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, so um, just before I in- introduce Jerry and, and get into what he, who he is and what he does, um, I want to mention um, our sponsors. Make sure you uh, look at our website and look at our sponsors. We are looking for more sponsors, and uh, it might help our ministry a little bit uh, for our broadcasting. And we're almost to a one-year, um, what do you call it, one-year anniversary. Next uh, <coughs> two weeks will be a one-year since we started. And... Uh, it seems like I'm having a lot of missionaries this this last few weeks. Um, it's kind of interesting. So, well, we're not traveling that much these days, so you probably have a lot that can come by uh, right now. And I guess it makes it easier. I mean, in two weeks, I get I have Jerry McClanahan coming on, and I think he's really hard to get. So, but anyway. Um, other than, than my sponsors, if you just kind of look through our, our website, there's a, a couple new books that I put on there to um, that I promote or, or try to at least let you know. There's a good one that just came out called Do You Get It? And by Lon Ekdahl. And it's a little easy read. It's really nice. If you click on the link, it goes to Amazon and, and so forth. And you can get it from there. And um, so I think in a, in a few weeks or about a month or so, I'm going to have another guest speaker who is actually has a number one bestseller on the market. It happened in one day. So um, we're working on that now. Anyway, let me um, introduce Jerry. <clears throat> Jerry, uh, let me, I'm going to read this little thing I wrote. And it says here, Jerry Dyke is the National Director of Church Mobilization with East West Ministries. I didn't know that you were the National Director of this. Well, it's a National Director of Church Mobilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a, it fits within one of the four-part strategies that we have to mobilize the church, to evangelize the lost, and equip the new believers so that they'll multiply. So my, my role is within the mobilization uh, strategy uh, of the ministry. You know, because there's just some of us who just kind of promote missions and missionaries and we get out there and do that. And I thought, and we go rah, rah, help them out. And I thought that's all you were. <laughs> Boy, when I read your whole thing, I was, was I surprised? <laughs> 
That's funny. Yeah, no, we have a, a whole executive leadership team that leads the ministry. We're headquartered in Plano and been around since 1993. Uh, we have about uh, 350 plus missionaries on staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, most uh, serve uh, either uh, in the United States and go back and forth or are deployed overseas. So more are being deployed overseas on a regular basis. It's, you know, you're, when I read your mission and all that you do, I was pretty impressed. But let me go on with this, what I have here. <clears throat> okay, the, the vision of East-West is to glorify God by multiplying followers of Jesus in the spirituality uh, of dar- or spiritual darkness, dark areas of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, they exist to mobilize the body of Christ to evangelize the lost and equip local believers to multiply disciples and healthy churches among unchurched people and or in restricted access communities. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I had Chris Moore on my show, oh, about seven months ago or so. I don't know if you're familiar with who Chris Moore is. He was in um, uh, Kenya, and they do a lot of the same. They actually build churches, and they get local or nationals mm-hmm. to start pastoring. And they have built schools where they actually will teach children, so they get an education, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so East West is really a church planning movement. It's it's uh, working with the national partners uh, to help them multiply. Uh, we don't ever anticipate or expect or desire to be the ongoing uh, um, um, supporter of the church movement, church planning movement overseas. We we want the churches, the national churches, to be independent. Tell us more about the ministry. What, is, what else does it do, and, and where do you go? Yeah, um, so uh, East West was started by John Mazel and Bud Toole in 1993. They'd been going behind the Iron Curtain uh, in a really uh, in a less formal, informal uh, ministry. And then in 1993, with the collapse of communism, they started East West Ministries. Uh, to reach not only the people in Russia, but people in the spiritually darkest places of the world. And we would, uh, we would describe those spiritually dark places as uh, countries that are typically characterized by political tyranny or religious oppression, less than 2% evangelical Christians. Uh, and uh, so those are the places in the world that we go. We like to say we go where others dare not go uh, because a lot of missionaries are going around the world to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost, but um, less than 10% of all missionaries go to reach the unreached. Wow. And less than 1% of all money given to missions go to reach the unreached. And that's estimated to be 3.2 billion people uh, in the world. And so uh, you can imagine uh, the need that there is to send missionaries into those spiritually dark areas of the world, the unreached people groups, is where we, we go. Uh, in addition to mobilizing churches to go on short-term trips, uh, we also uh, recruit and hire and train uh, long-term missionaries for deployment. And then we have midterm, we have internships, uh, we have a lot of different uh, ways that people can serve on staff at East-West. Uh, we do uh, a lot of our trips, most of our trips, 90% of our trips are are evangelism in nature. We, we uh, when we mobilize churches here in the United States to send a team overseas, uh, we train them to share the gospel, and we pair them up with their own translator 
uh, once they get to uh, their, the country, their destination. And, uh, and then they, we send them out to go share the gospel. And then uh, if there are professions of faith in those countries, we write down the information of that person and hand that off to our, uh, our church partner in, in, the, in the local country. And uh, the church planning movement right now, you probably have read, has just exploded all over the world. And we're a part of that movement. Uh, additionally, we, uh, we, on the mobilization side, my team actually works with churches here in the U.S. We actually have an assessment tool that we make available to churches at no cost to them uh, that will help them determine who they are as a church in terms of missions and evangelism. And it kind of assesses their DNA, uh, you might say. And then if, uh, if the DNA of the church is on the left, but uh, the leadership believes that they need to be on the right, then we help them develop a strategic plan uh, to, uh, for, for missions and outreach that will bring those two things together. Uh, and so we, we have a coaching toolbox that we have, uh, that we work with, that we make available to churches. We have a lot of different resources that, uh, uh, that we have developed uh, to train on evangelism, on prayer, a very undeveloped uh, tool in most churches. Uh, and uh, we do extreme trips into the uh, Himalayas uh, of Nepal and India. Uh, we do um, medical mission trips uh, and um, teaching, uh, you know, English, English as a second language. And so there's a lot of different elements. Primarily, our focus is to share the gospel as fast as we can through whatever means we can so that uh, those new believers will become a church and, uh, and plant other churches in their respective countries. So, for example, if somebody is a um, nurse, doctor, um, pharmacist, you could use their abilities to go on a short mission trip into a medical area and, and Absolutely. Now, that's a, a new area of ministry for us, and we've actually partnered with a, an organization here in the U.S. to do those things. But we've seen some, some really uh, um, impressed, impressive uh, results in our first couple of years uh, in, in mobilizing those uh, medical teams. How long are those short trips? Well, it varies. Depends on uh, what part of the world you go into. Uh, you know, if you're going into a, a Latin America country in the in the Caribbean, mm -hmm. uh, we'll say uh, that's you can do that in a week. Fly in on a Saturday and fly out on a Saturday. Uh, same thing with trips to Europe, uh, like uh, Turkey or or uh, Greece. Uh, you know, Eastern Europe, Eastern the Middle East. Uh, those you can do in probably eight days. If you go to the other side of the world, like to South Asia or to Southeast Asia, you're talking, you know, a 10-day trip. It just takes longer to get there and back. And, uh, and to allow for a week of ministry, you have to add a few more days. Now, I, I remember um, <clears throat> walking in a, in a um, lobby of a church, and I've watched you stand one time or a couple times with a table in front of you, and you had a couple banners now, what are you doing there in that church? Are you trying to find missionaries or people to support you, or how? What is happening there? Yeah, um, so we, rec we we recruit uh, people in churches to go on short-term mission trips. It's really one of the primary ways that we get people involved in missions, and most of the people on our staff 
uh, are on staff having experienced a short-term mission trip in their past, uh, and myself included. I went on my first short-term mission trip when I was still working full-time for the Coca-Cola company that I, I did 35 years with. And over those years, I, I went to Haiti a lot. And my first trip uh, as a, uh, on a short-term mission trip was in 1998 and uh, went to Haiti. And uh, it was during one of those trips to Haiti that I realized that would be something I'd like to do full-time uh, at some point. And the Lord worked that out in 2014, 2014. 13 really to to move me on staff full time but what we're doing in those in those lobbies of the churches is we're recruiting people to go on a short-term mission trip and uh, uh, and that could be what you know about 20 to 25 different locations we we touched 53 countries with our with our missionaries but we only deploy short-term teams into about 25 of those uh, countries because of the volatility of, of the others. But uh, we, we can deploy into 25 of those countries. So uh, probably where you saw me uh, recruiting a team, I, you know, we, we have those signs up with the pictures uh, from the various countries that we're going into. And then we um, have a sign-up sheet. People come by, they see the, the the information and display, that's one of the reasons those posters are so valuable is because people see those and they see that, wow, it's a picture of exotic location in the world. I'd like to go there. I'd always wanted to do a mission trip. So we've we've probably, over a period of time in one particular church in San Antonio, uh, I have probably over 500 people who have signed up for a short-term mission trip. Wow. Now, the, that's the that's the good news. The bad news is that only about ten percent of those people have actually gone on a on a short term <laughs> trip. So, um, but um, but yeah, so we're getting them to sign up with a as interested in going on a trip, and then we follow up with them to see how serious they are. We ultimately we take those who are really serious about going through orientation over a period of time. And then we uh, we need ten to twelve people to, to fill out a team, and then we take them on mission. So, if I'm I'm just going to throw this out here. So, if you have five hundred people sign up and fifty people go, uh, uh, is would one of the reasons be money finances? And if so, how do they how are they able to afford or get to that position or place? Yeah, it's a good good question. Um, because those are the questions that come up during the, the orientation and during the point when they sign up to when they actually decide to, to not go. Uh, and, and money is one of the things that people sometimes, uh, uh, you know, that deters people from actually going. Uh, and most people that go on trips are encouraged to, to raise support through their friends and family. Uh, we, we would rather people not pay their own way. We, we prefer, prefer people to have a sending team to go on mission. But money is one of the things. It can cost anywhere from $2,800 to $3,500, uh, depending on where you're going. And um, so not, not everybody has that money lying around for, uh, for a, a trip like that. So, but we take them through... Uh, orientation and training how to raise their own support. Uh, 
money's one of the reasons people don't go. The other is just uh, it sounded good at the time when they saw the pictures and then when they started thinking about what it was that they would be doing. Uh, just the, the, I think, fear, uh, uncertainty uh, causes people to back out. Uh, and then because they're signing up for a trip that might be six months out, uh, schedules change, things come up. But um, the people that go uh, have a life-changing experience, and God uses that not only uh, to, uh, to sh- for them to share the gospel with people in these spiritually dark places, uh, but it also changes the life of the person who goes. And when they return from those trips, uh, it affects the people around them in a positive way. All right, yeah. It's, I know a, a couple, um, and they have two kids, and their daughter wanted to go to Uganda. And they were like, well, I don't know about that. And so she's at, she was adamant, I want to go. So the mother went too. And it changed that teenager's life so radically. She's like, I want to go again. And she was determined to, to make mission trips a, a big, you know, point on her life to do that. And, you know, I'm, you probably know Susan and I go to Moldova every, yep. every year. And uh, we've done it differently, though. We kind of, because I teach, I don't right. go with a team. I teach at the seminary, teach sem- seminars, and I preach, and I do studies. So we work with two different, sometimes three different uh, mission uh, uh, ministries out there, so they're all independently different. However, I do know that some of them will, or one of them will send students into these areas or countries where it's dangerous. You know, as part of what they do, and um, and I can't tell you where they take send them. It would not be appropriate. Right, but. Um, nor can I tell you which ministry does that. <laughs> right. Well, we we're in the same uh, we're in the same camp. Uh, we we do go into areas that are uh, somewhat volatile. Uh, we 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 uh, don't take unnecessary risk. Uh, we do we do press the uh, we push the envelope a little bit. Let's say, and mm-hmm. uh, we go in as, as tourists, and uh, and then um, pair up with our translators we dress like tourists we act like tourists and then give them the opportunity then if the conversation comes up then we will try to lead it into a spiritual conversation and then hopefully the gospel message yeah there are some countries that are more open and allow for us to to be in the homes of the people and some are less open but um you're right we uh now we do have a security team that monitors the movement of the of all the teams that are deployed we deploy uh over 130 teams uh, each year. This year, obviously, all, all the trips were canceled because of COVID. Uh, but uh, we're doing a lot of things virtually now. We're, we're actually promoting and developing, developing and promoting uh, virtual STMTs uh, that people can log on to the, the internet and actually hear from uh, some of our national partners uh, yeah. around the world. Well, God has really blessed Susan and I. We we when we go, we don't have anybody really support us, but we use our credit card points for our airfare, and it, it it's there because it, we have a business. We buy our product to sell our business for off our credit cards. We get points, so it usually takes our airfare, and we usually spend two to three weeks at, in the mission area in the field, and then we'll take another week vacation. 
since we're in Europe already, That's right. we'll go to Israel or we'll go to Germany or Austria and we'll take a week off and, and we'll have or 10 days and we'll have we'll put it all right. together. It saves on the on the airfare. Well, speaking of that, we always work in one, at least one day of R&R. Uh, for the team, usually on the the last day that we're to, in the in country, just to give them an opportunity to do a little uh, uh, sightseeing and you know, buy some souvenirs and just kind of let their hair down a little bit uh, before they return. So. Yeah, that's cool. I um now let me ask you this question: What brought you to this point to be involved? I mean, you said you worked for Coca Cola Company, but now you're you basically you do this. And what brought you to this point in your life? It's a great question. Um, so I was raised by a, a preacher, evangelist, uh, and I don't know if I was the atypical or typical preacher's kid, but uh, I guess it depends on your point of view. But uh, uh, but I did watch my dad uh, model what it's like to be a godly man, a godly husband, god godly father, and then uh, witness uh, to people all the time and have people in our home for Bible studies and deal with a lot back in the sixties, you know, people had long hair and uh, they, they call them hippies, you know, and he, he did a lot of counseling with people and, and uh, led a lot of people to Christ over the years. And so I had a, a model uh, to follow. I always had that heart in, uh, to, to evangelize and heart to share the gospel and uh, and so when I um, I didn't I didn't say this earlier, but uh, I was actually ten years old on my first mission trip. Dad took us to wow. Uh, Dad took our family to Haiti in 1969. So that was really my first mission trip. And uh, but in 1998, uh, I had a chance to go back uh, to Haiti, and I actually took my mom and dad with me, and on that trip. And so that was it was during those years going to Haiti for me. From 1998 until 2010, I went back probably 12 or 13 times to Haiti. And uh, so that was the exposure that I was getting uh, on sharing the gospel in a foreign country and seeing God move in the hearts of people and churches being planted and, and those kinds of things. And uh, then I had friends uh, of mine who were on staff with East West that uh, were kind of chiding me and, and encouraging me to to consider full-time ministry. And and then in uh, 2012, I, I took a severance package from Coca-Cola after 35 years and wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but uh, the Lord led me uh, through a series of events between 2012 and 2014 uh, to actually join East West. And uh, so um, the, I, I started as an area director and uh, just a couple of years ago, they promoted me to director, uh, national director of church mobilization. Uh, but uh, that's kind of what led me uh, along that path to, to join East West. You know, I read a lot, speaking of your dad, I read a lot about your dad. And he absolutely, totally blew my mind reading about him. He obviously led a full life, mm -hmm. you know, a completely full life. And it seemed like he was an amazing person. He, he was. He was. Uh, and for your listeners, uh, uh, my dad passed away on uh, on November 2nd, and uh, we buried him on November 6th. And uh, it was complications due to, to uh, COVID. Uh, it, it was unexpected. Uh, he was mostly healthy uh, and uh, just um, 
didn't survive that. But uh, you're right, he led a full life. Uh, he, he, he traveled around. He, uh, some, of your, some of your listeners might know who E. Stanley Jones was and with the Methodist Church, missionary to India for 65 years and friends with Gandhi. And, uh, but that was my dad's mentor, and he spent a lot of time uh, traveling around with E. Stanley Jones and, and speaking at some of the same conferences that, that uh, Dr. Jones spoke at. And, uh, and so just uh, uh, continued to do ministry throughout his entire life. And um, a lot of people uh, have expressed their sadness in his uh, passing, but uh, know that he's in the presence of Jesus, the place that he's always wanted to be. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, do you go on very many of these uh, mission trips yourself? I do. I, I, uh, I actually had this year I had planned to go on eight trips. Eight, uh, eight. yeah, um, and um, we had uh, two trips that were fully funded, fully staffed, uh, ready to go in, in in April and May, and those were canceled. Uh, and then on all the others that uh, were were still being recruited for uh, were postponed. So we're hoping that we're we'll be able to reengage uh, those teams and the people who are going on those teams uh, next year. Hopefully the vaccine will make its way around the world. The biggest problem we're having right now is that if you deploy uh, during this uh, COVID season, uh, then you, you have to quarantine for 14 days once you get to country and then 14 days when you come back. So you, and then you know, allow for a week of ministry and you're talking about 35 days of, uh, of being away from home. So uh, it obviously is untenable right now, but um, but yeah, I do go on the trips, uh, and uh, I have, I have led or co-led probably over twenty uh, teams in the last several years, and uh, um, probably more than that, closer to thirty. But um, yeah, it's one of the joys uh, that I have, and that is uh, training people to go on mission, teaching them how to share the gospel, and seeing them move from. Uh, being terrified and, and uh, shaking in their boots, so to speak, uh, to uh, just being courageous in their, in their testimony and sharing the gospel with people. When they see people respond to the gospel, the courage that just grows in them uh, exponentially. And so uh, it's a joy to watch somebody who just is so afraid and thinking that they've taken a step of faith that they uh, might have second thoughts about and then getting them into the mission field after that first day, and they come back just completely uh, joyful and enthusiastic about what it is that God did to, through them during the day. So being gone as much as you do, does your wife go with you? Um, you know, I get asked that all the time. And my, <laughs> my wife is what I would describe as a homebody. Uh, she, uh, she likes her routine. She's a creature of habit and, and routine and and uh, she sends me with her blessings. And uh, she's talked about going uh, on uh, one particular location that we go. Uh, but um, so far, that hasn't happened. Maybe maybe in the future. She's an incredible lady, I have to tell you. Well, thank you. When I've talked to her. I, I agree with that. So, And the pictures that I see on you on Facebook, it's like you guys are just holding each other like you just absolutely, totally <laughs> love each other. Well, it'll be 40 years next March for us, and uh, yeah, she, uh, 
She and I have had a, a great life together. Uh, we have one son who's a, a pastor of a church in, mm-hmm. in Stephenville, Texas, Rocky Point Baptist Church in Stephenville, and uh, is married to a young lady that he met uh, at a wedding and who was on staff with the IMB in, in South Africa or in Zambia. And, uh, and he, didn't, he met her uh, through praying for her prayer card that was given to him by some friends of hers. And uh, a few years later, they were married. And uh, now we have two uh, grandchildren, uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old Sailor Grace and uh, a three-month-old uh, Asher, uh, Asher Everett. So um, uh, joys of our hearts, to say the least. That's neat. I know the first time that I went to Moldova, I was by myself. I think it was for three weeks. And uh, it was kind of a sudden thing. I was asked, uh, we were gonna, I was going to go out like eight months later, but then they had a cancellation of somebody coming out the following month. And so I, I said, I think I can go out. I just have to ask my wife. And she said, go ahead. So it was just me. But when I came back and talked to her, she's like, I want to go next time. <laughs> so on many of my trips, she's gone with me. And now they actually use her. And she's the great supporter here, you know, and, and as they need support and help, she finds people. You know, we like to meet with people, and so she finds people. She's, she's a wonderful support for them yeah. here, which I find is kind of really nice. Yeah. So. Well, she's helped us out on uh, several occasions uh, with printing, and, and uh, is, is always a, has a nice word of encouragement and uh, um, just greeting. So yeah. I always look forward to seeing her. Well, I think missions are, are really good. I was... Um, I do teaching on the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I teach on a lot of things. But um, I read something recently that, because um, a lot of people wonder about the gifts of the Spirit. And there was something I read that there are some scholars that believe that um, people are wondering, where does the gift of apostle belong? And I was reading somewhere that the apostles now believe by many that those are missionaries. Because apostle means called out ones, and you have missionaries, that's exactly what they are. Well, there's a title apostle, mm-hmm. which obviously was uh, was limited to the, the, the disciples and those that were called by Jesus and were alive when he was alive. And then there's the, the, the role of a, being an apostle, a representative of, of Jesus Christ, uh, an ambassador, who are called out. And, uh, you know, those are, I think, two distinct things. But uh, definitely, I think, missionary can fall into that, that gift of, of uh, not the title of apostle, but the, uh, the role, role of being sent out. Yeah. yeah I, I think missionaries are incredible. Um, I love them to pieces. They, there's, there's a really, you know, difficult uh, life there that you, you step into. When I was uh, living in Hawaii... Uh, back in the 80s, I, um, a guy and his wife came to our church, who was Alice Cooper. You've heard of Alice Cooper. Yeah, wow. Okay, we live in on Maui. He came to this little church we belonged to, and, and I recognized him right away. And so I asked him out for lunch. Oh, I'm busy, but here's my number, and you, maybe we can meet sometime. And so finally I called, and he says, why don't you come on over for dinner? And uh, he found out I had some golf clubs, and so he decided to teach me some golf because that's his big thing. And so I asked him point blank. I says, I know you're searching for God, you know, but if, you know, he's a 
he's a missionary's son, and his wife is a preacher's kid. And says, if, if you're searching, why don't you just give your life to him? And one of the reasons, he gave me two reasons, but the one reason he said is that, well, I'm afraid if I give my life to Jesus that he'll want me to be a missionary in Africa. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> that was one of his one of his key things. That that's interesting, you know. Uh, I guess coming from a missionary, you know, family, that might be something that where he thought that. Yeah, you know, that's that is interesting because every believer is called into ministry. Uh, and, yeah. And, uh, whether it's in, in, in the middle of Africa uh, or right here in San Antonio, we're all called. Uh, you know, when Jesus gave us the the great commission uh he did it wasn't a great suggestion right it was right it was you go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the fathers the son and the holy spirit teaching them all that i've commanded you and lo i'm with you till the end of the age that was not a suggestion that was a commandment to all believers to go and uh, that could mean go across the street go next door or uh, go on a short-term trip. You, you may not have to live in the middle of Africa, but you can certainly go and experience that. I think a lot of people don't realize the what they're missing out on in some of the places that we get to go. It's some of the most beautiful places in the world. You know, it may be yeah. the darkest spiritually, but it's in the in in some of these remote areas. It's extremely uh, beautiful. Yeah, and and people don't realize this show that that, that we do here. It reaches into the Philippines and into Eastern Europe, all over Eastern Europe. And I'm, I'm talking thousands of people. I have at least 1,100 people in, in the Philippines that watch this a week. I have a few thousand people that watch this, whether it be in Russia, Ukraine, you know, or the, those areas. And these are areas that are dark spiritually, but people need Jesus and people are searching. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, you know, all it takes, and, it, and I know you're going to get into scripture here in a little bit, but all it takes is a little seed being planted. And I tell people all the time when I'm training them to go on mission, uh, to share the gospel, that they're not responsible for saving people. They can't save people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. All they're asked to do is go out and cast the seed, right? And they're not responsible for the condition of the soil, but they are responsible for going. And casting the seed, sharing the gospel, and making disciples. And, um, you know, that's, it doesn't take a whole lot to do that. And that little seed, just like you're planting by having this program, can go a long way to bring people into the kingdom. Yeah. Um, so I want to get into our topic, since we're already kind of starting to discuss it. And the laborers are few. And you gave me a, you gave me a passage I want, to, I want to read. It's in Matthew 9. Uh, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And here's what it says. It says, Then Jesus went about to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is a passage you gave me. It's your, your 
I guess your passion, your key thing, and obviously it fits with what you're doing as a you know, living. How do you see this? Explain that to us. Yeah, you know, it's not, uh, it is a passion of mine, that particular passage, but it's also the passion of East-West Ministries. Uh, we have four core values. And the first core value that we have is a passion for Jesus. The second core value is a passion for grace. The third core value is a passion for the spiritually darkest places of the world. And lastly, we have a passion for bold action. And so our heart, the heartbeat of East-West, is to take the love of Christ, the gospel message, to the spiritually dark places of the world. Now, what we know is that the Holy Spirit is working behind the scenes that we have no idea that what he's doing, or all that he's doing. And we are, uh, as obedient uh, followers of Jesus Christ, ambassadors of Christ, we go uh, to, into these areas of the world, sharing the gospel to people that the Holy Spirit may have already prepared to receive the gospel. What we do know, based on this scripture here, is that the harvest is being done by somebody else besides us, and that's Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. The harvester. Uh, were to go in, what he needs is laborers. So he's already taken care of the harvest. That means all we have to do is go in and gather it in. And so he's done the hard part. Uh, the easy part is for us to go, and we get to be uh, a part of what he's doing. We have the privilege of being on his team, being a part of the, uh, of, of the, of the, the uh, kingdom of God, being a part of his, uh, um, his uh, not program, I don't want to call it a program, but uh, of him bringing in the harvest. And um, what a privilege that is for us to go out. But, but the key is, because Jesus said we need to pray for harvesters, we need to do that. And uh, we shouldn't just take those words lightly. We should pray for harvesters. We should, we should step up to the plate. We should be one of those harvesters. And uh, but one of the things that several of our guys on staff, several guys on our team uh, do is that we set our, our watches for 10.02 every day. And that's based on a similar passage in Luke 10.2 that is pray, pray for harvest for laborers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so every day at 10.02, I get a reminder on my iPhone that I need to stop and pray for laborers. And uh, that's one way that I can be obedient to what Jesus is saying here. Pray for laborers to go. And, uh, and then we don't just sit back and wait for the phone to ring. We actually go out and talk to people about being laborers. And whether that's in their own community or whether that's uh, going overseas on a short-term trip or maybe even joining us full-time. And actually, before we go on, I, I meant to say this before we started that on my website, uh, www.thebelieversjourney.net, if you go to the guest page, uh, you'll see Jerry's picture there in a write-up. But underneath there, there's a link to his website that if you want to, if you're a pastor of a church or you have a church and you want to support or talk more to Jerry about uh, East-West Ministries and, and promoting or looking for a mission to a mission or missionaries to support, you can click on that link and then contact Jerry, or you can look at my um, uh, banner that comes across and it'll give you the link on there as well. 
There's also a link there if you uh, want to donate. There's a little link there, too, to donate to you as well. So I wanted to tell our viewers that this is there, especially if you're part of a church that's looking for uh, a mission to support or missionaries to support. This is really good. I know the church I'm going to, they actually have a table. You may want to call the pastor there. Uh, they're looking for a table of people who go out into the areas you're talking about and they want to get their people to support them. Yeah. So, well, thank you for saying that. Uh, everybody on staff at East West is supported. Even our CEO has have gone out and raised uh, their own support. There's a few exceptions. Some of the, the cross-functional folks in, in accounting and in, in, in payroll and, and HR, those people uh, are, are on a salary. Uh, but most everybody else on, on staff at East West has gone out and raised their own support. Uh, 90% of all money given to East-West missionaries uh, goes into the ministry account. And, uh, and so uh, that's, uh, that's about you know, 10% less than a lot of uh, nonprofits. Uh, a, lot, a lot of nonprofits uh, take 20% for administrative uh, fees, but uh, East-West made a decision years ago to, to only take 10%. But, uh, yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. That is the way that we uh, that we're able to do the ministry that we do. Yeah, and that that page, your picture, and that information and those links will be on there as long as we're we having our ministry. So well, it'll be there. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, anyway, I wanted to. Uh, I I like doing something when I when I look at topics. I'm a topical teacher and preacher, and. Um, there's another passage, and you've already quoted it, and I want to talk about this at length and tie it together with the one we just read. And it's Matthew 28, 19, which is the great, we call the Great Commission. It says, "Therefore, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, it says something different in the King James Version. Um, it says this. It says, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, opposed to make disciples of all nations. And we're going to hit that in a second. Then it goes on, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I was looking up in the in the Greek and especially in the Hebrew language, and it talks about the word Talmud. And actually here it's uh, Talmudum, which is the plural of Talmud. And it's not Talmud like we understand as the writing. It's Talmud, which is really the disciples. It means disciples or followers. And I want to read what it what it means because it has a much deeper emphasis in the meaning than just the word itself, disciple, um, as we think of it. And here's what I looked up in, in, in the Hebrew. It says the Hebrew word for disciple is Talmud. This word stresses the relationship between a rabbi or a teacher to master and a disciple, which is like a student. So you have like a master and a student or a teacher and a, and a student, disciple. The Talmud of Jesus' day would give up his entire life in order to be with his teacher. Okay? The disciple didn't only seek to know what the teacher knew. This is important. When I read this, I had to reread it and really soak this in. Because this is today's day and age. Mm. We just kind of want to soak in what, what our pastor knows, our teacher knows, and mm. what the Bible says, and we're good. We walk along. But it goes on. It's really neat. It, so let me reread this. The disciple didn't only seek to know what the teacher knew, as is usually the case today. It was not enough just to know what the rabbi said, 
But the foremost goal of any Talmud was to become like the rabbi and do what the rabbi did. And I've been teaching for years now the fundamental value, the foundation of any believer in Jesus is to become like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when I read this, I go, wow, it's, it's solidifying. It's given me validation for what I've been teaching right there in the very idea of what, uh, what Talmud is in the Hebrew understanding of what a, a student is mm-hmm. or what a disciple is. So when it says, teach all nations, okay, make disciples or teach all nations, the idea is that people become this disciple or this student so that they can be, know and become like the master who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's really, when you tie this in to the other part, when we're talking about the harvest and the laborers, we're really putting this together as a whole huge teaching that's one big ball. Yes. You see that? Absolutely. So. You know, it's it's um, one of the things that when you uh, place faith in Christ, uh, that is the uh, underlying, I think, principle that that you that uh, drives you from that point on. What does it become? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, a Christian is a little Christ. A little Christ is one who emulates, you know, the the Master, mm-hmm. Jesus being our Master. And unfortunately, we. Uh, we don't do that. And part of it is because we don't spend enough time in his word. We don't spend time enough time in prayer. And all of us fall short of, of, of being all that we could be. Uh, hopefully we're all moving in that direction. Uh, but the more that we spend time in his word, the more that we spend time in prayer and fellowship with other believers, the more I think we have a, a chance of becoming like Christ. Uh, and so, and then we have an opportunity to disciple others and point them to Christ. And if we hold up our end of the uh, of the formula, and that is acting like Christ, then they can even emulate some of the things that we do in our own uh, following of Jesus Christ. So just like Paul, when he said, just, you know, emulate me and as I emulate Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that's some of the things that we, in a practical sense, uh, can all do. It's interesting. The missionaries that my wife and I support are missionaries that we know don't just go out and save people or find them to win them to Christ and walk away and find new ones and walk away and find new ones. They're people that they have actually won to Jesus and then they bring them in in some kind of format, whether it be a Bible study with uh, one-on-one, whether it be Bible study in a group setting or whatever, and they teach and train them to be believers, to walk with Jesus in a format, and actually teach them to now go out and, and teach others. Exactly. And those are the ones we support, you know, ones are the ones we really care about. I've had a problem when I've gone to churches and, and you have a, a sermon you know, and then you have, uh, let's pray the prayer and thank you, goodbye. Yeah. And I, I really do. I have right. a problem with sure. this. And I was reading something on your website that really impressed me. It's the fact that East West Ministries International, what it says is that we train and we send followers. So you don't just go out there and win them to Jesus and walk away. You actually train them and send them out. Absolutely. Yeah, our model is built uh, now is built on on training people to be disciples and then to be to teach others uh, to to be disciples. 
uh, we know the Great Commission isn't about converts. Uh, it's about making converts. But as you go making converts, you're discipling those that are new believers. But our model is based on a, 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 a movement, one of the greatest church planning movements in history in, in Southeast Asia. Uh, and the book was written by Steve Smith of IMB, who passed away uh, over a year ago. Uh, but he was on our staff. Uh, but he wrote T4T. And there's a his co-leader in that movement was a was a, a Chinese American, uh, Ying Kai, and uh, uh, those two, uh, Ying really was the was the uh, was the catalyst behind the, the successful church planting movement that that we saw in Southeast Asia. But um, but it's about modeling uh, what a church is and then how it can be reproduced but then over and over and over again so that, you know, most of the churches around the world are not like the churches in the U.S. They're small, they're house churches, maybe 10 people, you know, uh, but um, or less. Uh, but uh, that's, most of the church, churches around the world are, are very small and, and reproducible. And uh, that's very key, though, is what, are, what is a church and how, you know, what are the fundamentals of a church according to Scripture? And then how you, re, how you reproduce those is, is key to uh, that multiple generational church planning movement. Yeah. Like I work, one of the ministries we work with uh, very heavily is with church, church uh, crew um, mm-hmm. and uh, in Moldova. And I know that they have home church. They had a couple, few church buildings with, with so forth, the churches, but now they've gone to home churches and they're trying to expand to a hundred and they're getting close, you know, but that's their thing is having the model of 10 or more. And one of the things that a lot of people here may not understand is like in Moldova, for example, um, they've been, uh, they're a state church, but it's the Orthodox church and mm-hmm. they run everything. And, and I guess a lot of people consider themselves that, oh, they believe God is real. They believe God is there. And it's not a big deal, and they might go to you know their mass or church once or twice a year, and and there's no real relationship, but they believe they're Christians. So now that this movement is coming with the evangel- evangelicals and and so forth, it's been hard to have church meetings in churches because they're then excommunicated from their church or from their family and friends and so forth. So now they have these home churches, and it's okay with everybody. Mm-hmm. which is really kind of interesting. It's like, right. well, you don't want me to go to the building, but it's okay to go into the right. house, you know, and, and it's good fellowship. That means they eat good. <laughs> I've been to some of these. Right. They eat good. It's just, you know, really nice. But it, it's interesting how, like you said, a lot of them around the world are at homes. And I know this is true in a lot of the areas that are dangerous. They have to meet in homes. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in some of these places, if there's get word word out, this is why it's important not to say certain things. If word gets out, then they have the, I guess, church sheriffs that go on breaking the homes, and they will arrest and torture the people who are, yeah, uh, in those. Yeah, we're uh, we have been protected from that in the in the U.S. churches, and as a result of that, I think we have gotten lazy. Uh, I think we have gotten pretentious in the, in what we do at church. Uh, we aren't driven to share the gospel. We we're not. It's it's not a, a life and death uh, circumstance for us here in the United States. That said, we know that laws are changing even as we sit here that might 
uh, might challenge some of the, the, the church's uh, ability to meet. Even now in COVID, a lot of churches are uh, being restricted in how many people can meet and what they do in those churches. But um, but most of the churches around the world, especially in the places that we go, uh, have to meet in secret and uh, or at least at least in a very low low key uh, environment. Yeah, and I like what you said. That we know, or we know at least, that the Great Commission wasn't about making converts. Right. It's about making disciples. There's a big difference because when you're a, con- a disciple, you're a student. Right. And you're actually learning, becoming, you know, what the master, who the master, what he teaches and who he is. Right. And that's a big thing. And I think that, that we've lost that focus here in the United States. Right. It's, uh, it's amazing to me how uh, many people discount the ability for the Holy Spirit to teach people. Uh, for some reason, we feel like if a, if a person isn't trained in a, in a, in a seminary uh, and, gone, and, and leading a, a church, that that church is not going to function like it's supposed to. And yet we see house churches all over the world that don't have a seminary and student teaching uh, the church. They are trained in the house churches that we, that we plant. We make sure that there is some leader, a capable leader in that house church that can lead people through a Bible study and scripture. And then we have our little Pauls and Timothys that go around and check on them uh, to, to answer any questions that they might have and answer some of those deeper theological uh, 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 questions. But um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the Holy Spirit is, is a great teacher, has been from the, from the beginning. And uh, uh, I think sometimes we uh, are a little, uh, I think, uh, a little overconfident in the teachers that come out of seminaries as as if those are the ones that are going to lead people in, in churches around the world. Yeah. I wrote something here um, when I was doing a study for today, and, and this is what I wrote. It says, to be Jesus' witness, okay, or witnesses, in, in both word and deed means communication uh, com- communicating, I'm sorry, communicating the verbal content of the gospel and living God's way and not our own. Okay. This is the central task of the people of God, but it can be accomplished only with the power from the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Jesus said, and I, I've said this several times on my show, that Jesus said that, you know, he gave us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and guide us into all truth. Mm-hmm. I mean that that is huge. Most people who are spiritually looking spiritually for some kind of way of their life or guidance or to be somewhere where God wants them, they either have not been taught this truth or they aren't reading their scripture or they don't know somehow for some reason that the Holy Spirit is there to give us this kind of guidance, this kind of teaching and power. Right. I think um, um, I think the Lord takes um, is moved uh, to take people like me <laughs> and uh, use uh, me use a person like me uh, for His kingdom. Even though I didn't have a seminary degree, even though I I don't have a lot of training. I mean, I've obviously spent a lot of time growing up around the Word of God and do my own personal Bible study. But God can use anybody. I mean, he can use anybody to move people into the kingdom. And uh, he doesn't need any of us. He can do it all without us. 
uh, and he, he's been in control of every detail, every life, every every person who has been drawn into the kingdom from the beginning of uh, of, the, of the early church, even from the beginning of Genesis. Yeah. But uh, so that's one thing we all have to, I think, take a sober uh, reality check on, and that is that we're not the reason that people are saved. Uh, no, you can be the best preacher. You can be a Billy, next Billy Graham. You can be, all, you know, the next, you name it, fill in the blank, uh, uh, greatest evangelist that ever lived, and and still not draw people into the kingdom. Uh, on the other hand, you can be some little simple uh, person doing a, a small job in, a, in a, you know, anywhere in the world, and God can use you to, to move uh, a lot of people into the kingdom. You know, it's interesting when I was young, this is off the topic here. When I was young, my pastor and I would, would uh, we'd talk and joke. He says, you see these guys going into seminary all hot and on fire and coming out very stoic. And so he said, we kind of have a name for it. It's called Cemetery. Cemetery. So, <laughs> yeah. They went to Cemetery. Yeah. But there's a couple other scriptures I want to read. Okay. One's in Ephesians 4.16. It says this, from him... The whole body, this is from him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part uh, does its work. In other words, we're, we're in the body, and the body supports one another. We're not to just, you know, find Jesus and go surf the waves the rest of our life. You know, we're part of one another that builds one another, to support one another, mm-hmm. to honor Jesus. Um, I think we, we a lot of people have lost that idea of what the church is. A lot of people think the church is just some building everybody goes to to sing songs, listen to a, a pastor and walk away. But the church are the people. We are the church. And we're to support one another, build one another up, and work with one another. And I think this whole idea of, you know, as laborers, not just outside in, in the... Because for me, I, I work with people who are who come to Jesus and I'm a teacher of these people. And so for me, my harvest is for these people to reach and gain a, a, an area where they can walk with the Lord so that they are trained, so they can go out. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's kind of where I'm at. There's this other passage here in Matthew 4.19. It says, "Come." Jesus says, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left, left their nets and, and followed them. This is the disciples. So I think that when we talk about the labors are few, the harvest is great. Jesus, oh, more than once in this Bible, more than once talks about in different ways that we need to reach out, go out. You know, uh, the old adage of um, give a person a fish, he eats for a day, or feed him or teach him to fish, he fish he eats for life. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing is here. We teach them to be disciples, and they in turn are discipling mm-hmm. others. And I think that's important to understand that. Right. That's one of the things I think is uh, concerns a lot of uh, uh, church leaders, spiritual leaders now, is that there's a lot of people not meeting together. Uh, because of COVID, and so they're they're they have their online churches that they're uh, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of good coming out of this. A lot of people who wouldn't step foot into a church are now coming on. But how do you how do you reach those people and how do you gather them together? As Hebrews uh, eleven, as Hebrews uh, ten says, where it says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing close. Yeah. So it's important that you meet together with other believers. Now that can be in a small group like the house churches I described earlier. Uh, but, but we need fellowship. We need to be on a regular day, you know, as, as much as possible, uh, daily if we can, uh, certainly with your own family, uh, but certainly uh, weekly with your extended brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, meeting together regularly so you can stimulate them to love and good works. Uh, and then obviously creating a discipleship environment so that then they'll multiply and, and uh, other, uh, make other believers and other disciples. Yeah, I mean, I teach a class at, at a Sunday school, and I'm in a big cafeteria room, and there's about 12 of us. But I have another 10 people on Zoom at the same time. So they're coming to church. They're right. just coming. You know, I have, I have my laptop over here, and I have the class out there. Right. And so uh, I get to, and they ask questions, just like the people inside the classroom. And we take prayer requests, and they all get the emails. And so we're being safe for those who want to stay away or keep away or, or who have uh, maybe are high risk. Mm-hmm. And we have those that are in there and those that are staying next to the door, they're all together. We have people wear masks and so forth or not masks. But we're all we're all still meeting and staying safe as possible. But it's mm-hmm. it's not about just the, the idea of worship. You can only worship if you go to the building. Right. We're worshiping as we give our life to Jesus. Right. Uh, yeah. One thing I failed to mention earlier, we do have a digital platform that is taking the gospel into uh, South Asia right now. We used to be in Southeast Asia with that digital platform, but now we've had to move it to South Asia. But we're reaching you know, hundreds of millions of people with the gospel and uh, hopefully guiding them into to fellowship. But that may be the only way that people can worship. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a good talk. It's been a good study. Uh, I'm so glad you came down. It's, I know it's a long drive to get here. <laughs> it's not that bad. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, I, I've been looking forward to this. So, well, you're, you're an amazing guy with an amazing wife and an amazing family. So I'm, I'm really you. honored to have you here. Thanks. So, well, thank you for joining us today. And uh, you have a wonderful week. And aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.